but a large measure, some out of the sum, as I understand it, there were several thousand, I think three, upwards of 3,000, no 10,000 people showed up to the reservation um, with the, the vision of, of supporting and intention of supporting uh, the Standing Rock Sioux and their opposition to the Dakota uh, Access Pipeline, uh, which initially was meant to be routed uh, through Bismarck, but then got directed south. And there's so many things one could say about it, but I want to focus a little bit because we're in this really interesting time of, I think, burgeoning social movements and also so many people listening are going through questions. And I think whether it's on a personal level or a collective level, um, a lot of us are being confronted with seemingly insurmountable odds. Uh, and this conversation, I think, will be really beneficial. It's it's very much about how one individual responsibility and prayerful, peaceful, collective action. And I'll share one of the most powerful stories uh, in my intro here for for the cha uh, former chairman Dave Archambault, uh, who who was uh, on the Standing Rock Sioux side. I mean, he had to take in you know thousands and thousands of people to uh, a reservation which was obviously uh, having some existential threats. I mean, water in the native uh, culture is is considered sacred. Uh, it's uh, profoundly sacred. It's also the lifeblood of the community, and it was being threatened. Uh, we've definitely seen lots of leakages of oil. It was enough of a concern for them to reroute, and they rerouted through a historically disenfranchised community. But a, commu a community that has never had its spirit broken, a, a community that is uh, profoundly beautiful. Um, you know, in the three days I traveled, I traveled with several Native Americans, uh, a variety of other veterans that really had a lot of their service, a sense of service lost when they came back. And so to stand peacefully with what they saw as, uh, you know, sort of brethren that were being mistreated and to, in a way, make right some of the historical wrongs, right? The, the U.S. military has not always been uh, a friend, that's the softest way I can put it, of Native Americans. So there's this really profound kneeling, actually, um, that happened with several of the veterans and the elders, where actually they asked forgiveness. And I think, as we think about some of the broader social movements that are happening right now, I think there's something really powerful. I think about Nelson Mandela and the anti-apartheid movement and the Truth and Reconciliation Commissions that, that took place, where I think without actually acknowledging the truth and seeking forgiveness, it's very hard for us individually and very hard for us collectively to truly move on. And I witnessed so many things during the course of my time there, which I, I don't know that I can fully speak about yet because I'm still even processing three years later some of what I witnessed, but I had the profound, profound honor to, to be present in a... Uh, you know, a, a, a council, a, a circle um, of of people that I tr truly respect and admire, and to see them carry forward uh, some very beautiful traditions, 
and also to march up to the sort of front lines, if you will, uh, peacefully, but to take a stand for something that uh, we believed in, we believed in deeply, that, that, that this was not right to, um, to move this pipeline um, to an area that jeopardized the, the health of these, these people against their own will. And what's powerful is today a judge, three years later, has denied and, and ordered the shutdown of the Dakota Access Pipeline. Now, this is something that took over the imaginations of millions around the world. And I bring it up now because I think there's, there's the Black Lives Matter movement. I think there's, as we speak, there's a, you know, what, what's happening with COVID. But regardless of when you're listening to this episode, I think it's heartening to see, if you will, a win in a seemingly impossible context. So whether it's individually or collectively, we oftentimes face seemingly insurmountable odds. And as uh, Dave Archibald mentions during this episode, you know, at the time, they were really up against seemingly impossible odds. And so today to have uh, marked a victory, granted, uh, took many years and a great deal of effort and so much sacrifice, but to, to, to see now the halting of that pipeline is, uh, is extraordinarily powerful in the context of thinking about what can happen when people focus their energies and attention, as so many amazing uh, Native uh, peoples did in standing up for, for their rights um, at Dakota. And so I think I just wanted to share this conversation because today feels like a historic day. I had the great privilege of sitting down with the chairman and talking a bit about what was going on some three plus years ago. And I think it's really relevant to revisit that conversation today, given what's going on in the world. So I hope you uh, enjoy the conversation. I'm so grateful for your time and energy. And uh, I also want to Acknowledge that today is the 85th birthday of His Holiness the Dalai Lama, and we were honored to host his 80th birthday. And I just posted my reflections on that in the previous episode. So um, some truly profound teachings that I received in both instances. And what I'll leave you with is a story that, that to me, in, in many ways, was the, the great takeaway from my time at Standing Rock. There were so many great takeaways. But when we arrived there, you've got to think, this is a community uh, that there's obviously a lot of historical mistrust of outsiders because of lots of broken promises and worse. And yet there was such a welcoming from the people there. And we arrived in the harsh uh, of the winter, really. And I grew up in in cold winters, but South Dakota in the winter is no joke. And we were by the busload. And, you know, when you're, when you're integrating people into a community, it's very, very challenging. Keep in mind also now this community is, in, uh, is stressed as it is, given what's going on with the protests, uh, national, international attention. And now thousands of strangers, ostensibly, veterans uh, from a military that um, where in, in, in the past there may be some uh, 
you know, some previous ills and previous hurts. Granted, now a lot of the folks that I traveled up with were actually Native American soldiers, and you know you can go back to the Wind Talkers. So there's been there there there's a, but there's a nuanced relationship. Well, there's a great deal of of Native American veterans, but there's also you know um, you know a history as it relates to the military and confrontations with Native Americans. Um, so what was so powerful is that arriving there at this gymnasium, ostensibly. There was an orientation, and as we walked in, there was an elder, and he said something very simple but profoundly powerful. He said, as you walk here, treat each step as if it were a prayer, because it is. And that notion of living as if your life is a prayer, I think is so powerful. Probably nothing that could be shared that is more contextually relevant than sharing, for whatever prayer is for you, treat this as a sacred place. Treat this as a sacred act. I think anyone can understand what that means. And that notion of stepping into the sacred, that notion of defending the sacred, that notion of walking as your life is sacred was such profound teaching and such a gift for me to hear. And I I know a gift for many. And something that I think about to this day, um, maybe one day I'll, I'll talk even more about my experience, but... I want to uh, get into this episode, and I want to just say thank you guys so much for listening. It means the world to me, and it's heartening to see that through the concerted effort and prayerful actions of a great number of people, uh, most principally the Native Americans at the Standing Rock Reservation, who are the true heroes, um, there is a little bit less to be concerned about as it relates to potential polluting of sacred lands. There's a lot more work to be done, a lot more work to be done, this is, but I think it's, it's, it deserves a pause to acknowledge and honor all those people who stood so bravely um, against um, some, a force that was seeking to... Um, jeopardize their families, their jeopardize their what they treat as sacred, their water source. And so um, without further ado, it's my pleasure to introduce the one and only Dave Archambault. I'm here with uh, Dave Archambault, chairman of the Standing Rock Sioux. Dave, thank you so much for being with me. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to start off by asking, where do things uh, stand now? I was actually um, at Standing Rock um, the day that they announced the denial of the easement, where do things stand? There was, after the announcement of the easement, there was uh, also with the denial, there was a, require, a request to do a full environmental impact statement and uh, as well as consider rerun. So those are the three things that we've been asking for from the beginning. Uh, we, we said that an environmental assessment is not uh, uh, suffice. Uh, it kind of takes a quantitative uh, look at everything, and it, you just assess the environment. Uh, environmental impact statement 
does more in-depth uh, studies. And uh, we need that because what's happening is this pipeline is starting to threat who we are as a people. And uh, this nation should uh, start to cherish uh, the first peoples who occupied the lands uh, before anybody came. And we're still here. We still have our language. We still have our culture. We still have our heritage. So the environmental impact statement was very important. And uh, what we're doing is we're urging uh, the federal agencies to uh, put it in the federal register, uh, saying that they're going to do the full environmental impact statement on this uh, location, as well as uh, consider additional routes. So once they publish it in the federal register, then um, we'll start to consider how much we'll be participating, if we'll be a part participating agency or if we're um, going to recommend anything that needs to be considered, such as uh, our nationality, our people, our Aboriginal lands, or whatever it is that uh, we uh, sit down and decide that needs to be in this environmental impact statement. So that's happening. At the same time, we are also trying to convince anyone and everyone that is willing to listen uh, with this next administration, uh, try to convince them that this is the right decision that was made uh, because of who we are. And uh, it's not about being opposed to uh, pipeline, the pipeline, or energy development. We're, we're uh, just tired of paying for the benefits of this nation, and, and that's what this pipeline poses is a, a huge cost to us. Uh, we will be the first uh, to pay when it breaks, and uh, it's, it, it threatens our very existence, our, our future. And uh, so we're, we're not opposed to energy uh, independence. We're not opposed to economic development. We're not opposed to national security. Um, we're just opposed to paying for it again. And so we want to share our message with whoever will listen. Uh, and I'm hoping and I'm welcoming a conversation with uh, President-elect Donald Trump uh, to help him realize and understand that there's more uh, to just uh, more at stake here than just this pipeline. It's not the pipeline issue. It's a it's a national issue for this nation. Yeah, it's it's powerful because it's the confluence of so many issues vis-a-vis -vis indigenous right. rights, treaty rights. Um, the the Missouri provides water for 18 million uh, Americans, and it's the largest gathering, as I understand it, of indigenous nations in over 100 years. Is that, is that correct? Yes. What does it mean now, as you as you look at this? Is sort of the, the global spotlight has been has been um, shined on Standing Rock. What, what is it called forth uh, from you as a leader, as someone who is, is leading his his nation? Has it what's what's the process been like for you individually? Well, I think the first thing I have to do as an individual is is just understand the situation. And for me as an individual, there's there's really um, no win situation. If this pipeline uh, doesn't go through, then I will be the first to blame because of the choices and decisions that I made um, in this in this matters. And if the pipeline goes through, um, if it doesn't go through, if the pipeline doesn't go through, then uh, I will be the one to blame. Uh, so there's no, there's absolutely no win. Uh, so what I try to do is I just try to make the, the decisions uh, that I feel and that I believe in are the best for uh, the people, all the people, not just uh, a select few. And um, if I if I do that, then uh, and if I look at not just the people that are here today, but if my decisions are based on what is the benefit going to be for the future, 
and all of us should be thinking like this. Uh, if we could do something today that's going to impact 50 years, 100 years from now uh, for the good, then let's do it. Uh, so that's how I, I look at things uh, and understand, you know, there's, there's no win, but there's a win for somebody down the road. And, and the way I look at it, too, is we already won because uh, there's so many people that came together to stand up for something very basic, and that's water. And, and in the manner that they did it, without violence, without drugs, without alcohol, and in prayer, you know, those, those things give us answers to the future and how we deal with or how we cope with anything that may plague us. So uh, we're very fortunate that this event happened because it, and, and I know it feels like it, it came to an abrupt stop and it was the end, but it's not the end. The way I look at it, it's the beginning of how we uh, conduct ourselves and how we behave. And, and that is uh, something that not I'm going to benefit from, but my kids, their kids, the kids who are not even born yet are going to benefit from. So, um, And I think you know, the, you're, you're faced with challenges all the time. And as, as individuals, how do, you, how do you overcome those challenges? And, and how do you make, know you're making the right decisions? It, it all comes down to uh, who you are as an individual and how you became that individual. Uh, each and every one of us have people in our lives that help shape us. So uh, if you look back and, and if you just go through your years, zero to five, do you remember somebody? And remember that name that you write down. And it goes five to ten, you remember that name. All these individuals that the Creator put in your path are who shaped you. And when I get into a position where I'm not sure, um, what, would, what would my father-in-law say? Or what would my father-in-law do? What would my dad say? You know, what would my grandpa do? Um, they're the ones uh, who I represent. They're the ones uh, that come out in me when, it, when times get tough uh, and your character is revealed. So uh, I'm, I'm thankful for all the people that the Creator put in my path. Uh, and I think that's how individuals can, can uh, reflect on why they do the things they do and, and identify with themselves. And it's just the, and what I call them are mentors, our role models. So it's important for us uh, to be mentors and role models for youth or for kids. And you see something in them, you see something come alive, then you nurture it and you encourage it and, and you help develop that spirit. And that kid will forever remember what the creator or who the creator put in their life. Mm. It's beautiful. I, I had, a, uh, had a pretty powerful experience because I, I traveled actually up with uh, with the veterans here from Los Angeles. So it's about a 48-hour trip. And we arrived the day, actually, of the announcement of the easement. And was very fortunate to um, be by the council fire with yourself and, and Chief Avril looking for us and a great, great number of the elders as you, as you made the announcement. And what I was struck by was you spoke about this, this notion of, of forgiveness and moving forward powerfully with forgiveness and, and a vision for the future. As you think about the young people specifically who have stepped up and, and have um, really led in this prayerful action, and you think about the elders and their guidance, how do you think um, Standing Rock and, and, and your people can, can powerfully move forward um, in light of where we stand now? 
and what are some of the ways in which those who wish to support in solidarity can be of highest use or value in that process? Well, first I just want to thank uh, all the veterans for coming because uh, it was really symbolic for us. It, it meant that the people who fought for this nation, for the freedom of this nation, are now standing beside Standing Rock saying, don't do this to the, the people who first occupied these lands. We've done enough to them. And, and that was a, a powerful, symbolic gesture by the veterans who, who came. And um, when, when we start talking about forgiveness, there's, there's a couple paths that you can take. Uh, the first path is uh, you can resent somebody who didn't done a wrong to you. And if you think about indigenous peoples, uh, tribes, my tribe, Standing Rock Sioux tribe, we have been um, abused uh, over and over again. And it created a situation where we are in um, high state of dependency on governments. Uh, we have a high rate of poverty. Uh, we have all the, the social ills, the social symptoms that come with poverty. So. Uh, we, and we can always say why it's that way, and we can resent the federal government for putting us in this situation, or we can learn how to forgive and teach that value, that virtue to our children so that when somebody does something wrong to you, uh, instead of holding on to it and, and making yourself sick, uh, let it go and, and move on. And you can always control your actions, but you can never control the one who did uh, the wrong to you. So we can't stand and wait for an apology. Uh, for all the people that uh, continue to support, you know, we're, we're, we've been thankful and, and I'm really honored uh, that all the tribal nations came and, and we can still stand in solidarity. You know, this was, Standing Rock was just one uh, battle and the war's not over. We won a small battle so we can continue to um, try to educate the incoming administration. We can and look at, encourage for the EIS, but uh, we can always come together. We understand that this is a lesson that came from the camp is that what what do we do when something plagues us? Uh, we, we can unite and we can uh, come in prayer and we can start to address. So there's going to be more battles, more wars in the future and, and we are going to be able to uh, come together as a result of this experience that we all shared when uh, uh, unexpectedly people from all over the world came to Standing Rock. Mm -hmm. But they came, and when they came, uh, you, everyone experienced some individual healing because every nation that came brought their own ceremony, their own song, their own uh, words of encouragement, and their own prayer. And that was really powerful. So when you feel like you're, you can't go anymore, another tribe shows up or another nation comes. So it's just uh, standing in solidarity and encouraging uh, uh, our brothers and sisters to, to continue on whatever battle it is. We now know from the lessons of this event, we can do it again. Yeah, what, is, what does that mean? One of the things that was, was, I was struck by was when we came in and there was this, uh, the veterans, uh, I would say a ceremony of welcome, but also a um, kind of a cultural learning, which was a sharing of how to act. And what was so powerful was you had had servicemen from every branch of service, uh, many of whom, as I spoke to them on the bus, were suffering with their own um, issues of forgiveness, um, some with po post-traumatic stress. Um, 
powerful in speaking to several individuals who said that they were willing to also pay the ultimate sacrifice. Um, but they also knew that it was a, uh, a native-led uh, and native-guided effort and that the elders would guide them appropriately. But one of the things that the elders um, mentioned to us as we arrived was that uh, it was to be a prayerful action. And I can say, as an, as an outsider, um, it felt extraordinarily powerful to be amongst people who were living as if, like you said, you're the person you revere most in, in your life or the creator uh, was, was there with you. What, can you give a greater sense of what it means in, in, in the context of prayerful action, what it means to live your life as a, as a prayer? And that's, you know, we, we, it, it, that, that can, we can go really deep into uh, uh, prayer, but uh, what we have to, in, in, in our culture, in our, our uh, ways, it's uh, really simple you know, to be in um, a prayer. Uh, we should always be in prayer, and sometimes um, we feel like we have to go to a structure to pray. Uh, we have to go uh, to be a part of something to pray. But uh, in every day, in our everyday life, uh, it's so simple just to to pray. And and the thing about praying is, it doesn't mean anything if you don't believe in it. So if you believe that there's a higher power, and if you believe that you're being heard. Um, that's a prayerful action. Uh, but if you're just going through the motions because uh, there's one day out of the week or, or a location that you have to go to, uh, your conviction to that prayer is not as powerful. So to walk in prayer and to believe in prayer uh, is, is more significant, more meaningful to an individual. Uh, as a collective whole, uh, when that comes together, it makes it that much more powerful. So it's um, simple. It's, it's, it's so simple. Life is simple, and we tend to complicate it. And the only reason why we complicate life is because we get disconnected to Mother Earth. There's a disconnect there. And, and if you want to go back into prayer, all you have to do is lay down on Mother Earth and look up at the sky, and you'll feel life. You feel movement, uh, and, it, and it's it's with you. Beautiful. You mentioned earlier a couple of things that I wanted to touch on. One was that this was a, a one battle in a much larger fight. You also referenced um, Mother Earth. This is one pipeline amongst many. Um, you also talked about uh, the notion of energy independence and and also sovereignty. There's so many so many issues there that could be unearthed. Um, one of the things I, I have a question around is you also mentioned the president-elect, and I understand also there's conversations with the governor. How do you most effectively uh, move forward, given the fact that there has been a, an adversarial context or conversation, in such a way that you can um, sort of uh, put with that which um, no longer serves behind you and sort of rally forth in the way that best serves the cause, if you will? Uh, again, it's it's uh, similar to the value of uh, the the value of forgiveness. You know, are we going to focus on what was said? Are we going to focus on on uh, what we think is going to happen and and the adverse effect that it's going to have, or can we focus on an opportunity? And what I see with the president elect is that 
uh, we have an opportunity to share why this is uh, a stand, why there is a, a resistance to this pipeline, this one pipeline. And, and in this opportunity, we can also help them understand that we're not opposed to energy uh, development. We're not opposed to you know, economic development. There's, there's ways that uh, the capitalists can gain uh, with alternatives. And, uh, and it's not a debate about whether or not climate change is real. It's just uh, having an opportunity to share facts and what we see and what we feel and, and uh, share something about our culture that maybe it will impact him or touch his uh, psyche. Maybe it will touch his heart. Or maybe he will. Uh, so but we don't know until we take advantage of uh, an opportunity, if we ever get one, to stand face to face. But the, the reality of it is um, this is not the last pipeline. There's many more to come. And we have to try to protect what little we have. And in doing so, that why do we do that? That can bring awareness to this nation, that can bring awareness to this world, that uh, if we don't change our behavior, if we don't change what we're doing today, uh, and if, if our intention is to leave something behind for kids who are not yet born, if we don't change, we're going to leave nothing behind. because. Um, it's not trends, it's not a cycle. It's a fact that, that uh, we're damaging Mother Earth, but it's not too late. There's alternatives uh, that are beginning to surface, and so let's encourage that these alternatives uh, uh, become more and more so that the demand for uh, fossil fuels is lessened and economic development, energy, energy independence is still thriving, but uh, with renewables rather than um, one-time fossil fuel. Yeah, you, I mean, having experienced the winds of North Dakota, wind is obviously a significant potential untapped resource. I saw several wind farms on the drive up, solar. What, where does the conversation stand? With, has a conversation progressed with the president, with the current president, President Obama, and his administration in regards to that energy independence as it relates to um, the current situation? Um, and where do you hope the conversation will go with the president-elect? Well, I, I think the, the current president is doing what he could with the situation. And uh, he gave us what we asked for. Uh, we just have to try to make sure it is followed through before he leaves, and that's the environmental impact statement. The, the conversation with the uh, incoming president is... Uh, we want this nation to be great again. We want to help make this nation great again, and and we can help. And there are things that we know that, that if he knows, um, his legacy will be great for this, not just this country, but for the world. Uh, but it's going to take a change uh, in mindset. And, and the way I see it is maybe he doesn't know that there's, there's huge opportunity laying out there. Um, so... We're just going to keep keep trying, and, and we're opening. And I'm hoping that I, I get a conversation with him one day. Uh, not sure if that'll ever happen, but um, we've got to keep trying. Yeah. What are the ways that, in, as you look at appointments within the cabinet, it seems that there is um, there, there, there are those who have been involved, obviously, in the fossil fuel industry. Um, but then again, there was an advisory meeting yesterday, and you know, with Elon Musk and others. So, so. Where do you hope that 
this conversation can go moving forward as we look to, to this administration and, as you say, to the next generation. If you look 50 years, 100 years down the road, which, as I understand it, is one of the great, um, you know, one of the great qualities of, of many of the indigenous peoples as they looked many generations ahead, uh, as opposed to just thinking about this moment. Um, where do you hope that, what's your vision, really, for the future? What's the, what's the vision that you have for your people and, and, the, and the legacy you, you would like to leave for them? Well, I'm not, I'm not trying to leave any legacy, and I'm, it's, it's nothing about me. You know, I, I'm just trying to make sure that uh, when they look back, they'll say, what happened? And why is it that uh, we all have Teslas? Why is it that we can all afford Teslas? Uh, this is a, a, a car that we should all be striving for because of the, the consumption that our vehicles use now with, with fossil fuels. So if they said, if, if we can jump in the future and say, how did that happen? What did that change? Well, there was awareness being built, not by me, but by a movement, by, by um, the spirits, the, the spirituality of everything, um, our belief in our prayers. That's what's taken it. So um, if I was to, to well, what, what do I envision? I say uh, th there will always be a need and a use for fossil fuels, but uh, we don't have to depend on them because there are alternative sources of, of energy, alternative sources for products. So when we look around, I could look in this room and I could see everything that's made out of petroleum. Uh, is there another alternative product? And we always try to uh, do something individually to reduce our carbon footprint, but individually is not good enough anymore. Uh, we're going to have to uh, look at it in the community. And, I, and what I would love to see is uh, in the future envision is a community that has uh, net zero that, that doesn't there's no cost to heat your home there's no cost to cool your home there's no cost to light your home there's no cost to um, cook your food uh, so you have alternative power sources you have uh, a battery system you have uh, a way so that you're not uh, and you're just using the environment to be self-sustaining and if we can create a community like that, then there will be more communities that would pop up. And when there's more communities that pop up, uh, now uh, no longer is it left up to the individual, but it's less left up to a nation to try to change its, its uh, course. That's what I would hope to envision in the future. Beautiful. Where do you, you mentioned movement and, and, the, and the, the collective action. I know a great number of people gathered both in person at, at Ocheti and, and in the other camps, um, as well as worked in solidarity from afar to, to support um, the, the easement decision and, and, and move um, this conversation around energy independence and uh, indigenous sovereignty and, and, uh, forward. Where do you, how do, where do, what do people do now? In other words, um, I know from the, from the point of the physical camp, many people have disbanded. Um, there was a great deal of attention that was focused um, during that time. Um, but right on that veterans action, um, right around that time, the, the announcement of it around the easement was made. Um, how do you see that affecting things moving forward? Like, what, how do people um, continue to work to support? Well, I, you know, I would say if you want to continue to work to support, uh, continue to pray and, and do what you can to convince others that this decision is the right decision that was made. And call your congressman, 
um, try to talk to the, the new cabinet, the next incoming administration. Um, just do whatever you can, and that way it would be more effective um, than being in a hazardous condition where it's minus 30 degrees below zero and your vehicles are going to freeze up. And there's, there's, it's a real risk um, when the weather breaks, uh, when springtime comes. I think we have time before that happens, before the, the next administration tries to overturn everything. So, but we have to work right now. And, and being at the camp does not help. Um, we're, we're concerned for people's lives. Yeah. And we should be focusing our energy on setting up meetings with decision makers. So as we're, as we're trying to balance both, um, we're just praying and hoping. That that's the thing that you can do is pray and hope that nothing bad happens. You know, we don't want anybody's life to get lost. And that's what we've been always emphasizing and expressing from the beginning is um, safety nonviolent peace, be in prayer, uh, so that you can continue to help that way. Um, it's just, it's just going to be uh, the, a period of unknowns until we get uh, this new president in, and, and hopefully by that time we have influence on, on the, the decision and, and hope that we hope and pray that it stays. Beautiful. So prayerful action and, and at this point, that action is less being on the ground and more about calling respective members of, of government and looking to keep forward what the, what was promised vis-a-vis -vis the easement, et cetera. Right. Beautiful. Um, I guess in, in sort of drawing, moving towards drawing it to a close, where do you hope to see um, things a year from now uh, in terms of Standing Rock, your vision for, for where things stand uh, in a year's time? Oh, man... You know, I try to get through. I don't know what's going to happen from day to day. And, and what I'm doing is uh, I look out beyond one year. I look out beyond five years. I look out 100 years from now, 50 years from now. And for me to try to say, what do I want happening next year? Um, I have to, to pray that the Creator is guiding me. And the reason why I'm sitting right here right now is because it's meant to be. I'm supposed to be here. And if I believe in that, and if, if I know that things are happening how they're supposed to, then uh, things will work out. And next year, um, we're still going to be saying, what change can we make to impact 50 years from now? And it may be a different uh, battle, but it's, it's going to be the, the same uh, goal, and that is to make a difference in, in kids' lives. To that point, as, you, as we think about the youth, both at Standing Rock and across the nation, across the world, and many of whom are beset with challenges. Um, as you mentioned, also, this isn't the only pipeline being built. There are, there are a great many um, being both built both in the nation and around the world. Um, what do you think is one of the beautiful things uh, from the culture is the, is the prioritization of the elder and the wisdom of the elder, which, unfortunately, I think... Um, some of our, our modern-day culture has, has forgotten, at least in the U.S. Um, but as, as you speak with the elders and you look to shepherd forward the youth uh, of, this, of, uh, of your nation and, and of the world uh, in, the, in the best possible light, what do you think a young person who may be listening could benefit from hearing in regards to um, guidance for the, for the future and, and how, to, how to live life? Well, I, I, I believe that the elders have so much wisdom 
so much knowledge, but it's um, uh, when you when when elders have this, they they're not going to be the ones who are going to come and and tell you and force it down your throat. What the elder will do is, if you're willing to listen, um, and if you're willing to meet them halfway, uh, you'll be amazed at how much uh, answers they have to your questions. So, for for youth, if if you want to know. Uh, the answer to whatever question you have, um, meet an elder halfway, and and you'll find the answers. Beautiful. Um, my final question, just because it, it relates personally to um, the group of individuals I went and visited Standing Rock with, the veterans. Uh, there was a moment uh, with Wesley Clark where he sought uh, the forgiveness uh, of the First Nations people for some of the actions and atrocities committed by the um, by armies of the past. What, what did that mean to you? And, and it was extremely powerful for, from, from my perspective, but what, what does it mean for sort of historical enemies to seek uh, to collaborate together? Well, it's um, it's always good when uh, someone is willing to ask for forgiveness, ask for an apology, uh, not ask for apology, but give an apology. Um, so there's been so many wrongs that have been done, and uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna uh, overcome all these wrongs uh, from one forgiveness. Uh, it's it's gonna take us time. Uh, to realize what that really meant. And um, it will have to sink in and say, okay, finally, um, somebody said they were sorry. Uh, and, and it won't be the first time that someone, you know, there, there's different groups that came forward. Um, on bended knee, they came and they went to journey to every uh, reservation that has, was impacted by the churches. And they asked for forgiveness. But it takes time to, to sink in. And I think what everybody um, would really want is if a, a president of the United States came out publicly and officially said it to Indian nations of this of this country and said, "I'm I'm sorry." Um, that's what. And even if he did, it's up to you. Can't control what every individual is going to how they're going to behave because it created what the what this government did to our people over 200 years has created a state of dependency, uh, created trauma time, time, time again. And I think one, one time, it's powerful and it's moving, uh, but it's going to take decades to overcome all the wrongs. And, and it won't be realized, that one apology won't be realized uh, today or tomorrow, but it will be realized maybe 50 years from now. Is there anything um, you'd like to share? Any any um, any ways in which uh, people can continue to support at this particular crucial juncture, aside from um, reaching out to their their respective member, members of government, or any messages you'd like to share specifically for the youth? No, I you know I think if um, maybe not so much for the youth. I, I think the youth are for the first time taking pride in who they are and um, uh, standing up and having the courage. Uh, so a message would be for adults, and that is to encourage our youth to continue to say 
what they want to say and continue to do what they want to do. Uh, and that encouragement, encouragement will go a long way. And if there's a way that you can mentor them, um, you need to step up. Our youth are ready. Yeah. Well, I want to acknowledge you, um, and, and specifically uh, the, the Lakota people. Uh, very rarely encountered a people quite as gracious. Uh, absolutely incredible hospitality, the degree to which you uh, took serious and welcomed in thousands of people, and yet, and, and in, a, in a pretty harsh context, yet uh, shepherded them forward. And like you said, there was both healing and no one, uh, there was no fatalities. People um, stood together. It was a real beacon uh, for me and I know for others in regards to what's possible as uh, as communities call forward and, and figure out how to lead most effectively through collective action in a way that can serve us and our future generations in the most positive way. So I acknowledge your leadership and am uh, grateful uh, for having uh, had a very small but powerful experience um, amongst your people so thank you and, and I think you know just having a, just the word collective action all together uh, doesn't necessarily mean war doesn't necessarily mean violence uh, collective action in a prayerful peaceful way will take you a lot further and, and reduce the trauma reduce the, 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 the stress that a war would so collective uh, action is, is needed for all of us and the collective actions to um, be mindful of what we consume, be mindful of what we buy, be mindful of how we heat our homes, how we power our vehicles, be mindful uh, of the, the next generations that are yet to come. That's a collective action that we all need to be a part of. Yeah, it's powerful. Actually, it was, I think it was Van Jones mentioned that this was one of the great civil rights, in his view, movements of our time, and you can Selma. I thought about Gandhi and, and these different collective actions, but what was powerful, I think specifically, is, at least in my experience, it seemed to call very much into how are we living our lives and what are the decisions that we're making and how are those decisions impacting the broader issues that we're facing. So really a call to, to individual responsibility and in that collective action. Yep. Powerful. Thank you. Yep. You're welcome. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with uh, Chairman... Dave Archambault on this historic day. Um, there's still lots to be done, uh, as there is in any movement for uh, justice, but I think that it's also important to acknowledge that through the uh, peaceful and prayerful actions uh, and the stand for um, future generations, there are uh, victories. And I think especially at this particular moment for a variety of reasons, I think it's, it's powerful to hear that um, a, a bit of good news, if you will, and that, uh, that there are folks out there that are um, standing, if you will, for the sacred. And we need to have a lot more of that um, at this particular time. And... It's, uh, it's heartening to hear that uh, it's, at times amidst seemingly insurmountable challenges, there are moments of grace. So sending you guys so much love. Um, so grateful for you listening. And uh, we'll talk again soon.